0: Well, good morning, church family. You know you guys are the uh, those who persevere, aren't you? Snowy and an hour less sleep. I'm proud of you. So glad that you are here today. Now I want to begin today uh, by considering something together. I want us to consider this question: How do we define wealth? How do we define wealth? Is it based upon the size of our annual salary? Might be a good marker, but is it the only one? Is it based upon our net worth, the sum total of all of our financial things, all the things we own? Is that the measure of wealth? And however we define wealth, personally, there is actually a different and more significant question for each one of us today, and that is Am I wealthy? Am I wealthy? What about my neighbors? They sure seem to have a lot of stuff. They have stuff that I don't have. They get to do things that I don't get to do. Maybe they're wealthy. Or do we just use that term for people who live maybe in gross point or birmingham are those the places we would say that's where all the wealth resides you see in according to an article in the u.s news and world report there are many factors that come into play when you and i evaluate the reality of wealth yet one financial advisor says there's one real issue that matters most when it comes to our wealth, and it is not how it's defined. It's actually not how we define wealth. He said there's something far more important. He said comparison is the thief of joy. Set a goal that will make you happy. Stop worrying about what your neighbor has and what your neighbor is doing. That is wise counsel, isn't it? That is wise counsel. And yet, if we are going to be real, if we're going to be authentic with each other this morning, that is a tough thing for the human heart to put into practice, isn't it? Am I the only one? Yeah, I don't think so. It's tough to put into practice because we covet. And the fact is, no matter what we have, we'd like a little bit more. I don't need to have all of that, but I sure would like a little more than I have. I'd like my salary to be a little bit larger. I'd like my 401k to be a little bigger. Speaking of larger, I'd like a little bit bigger house. A little faster car. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Could it be that we have made an idol of wealth in our culture and in our lives? And yet, God's word speaks directly to this temptation that you and I face in our lives each and every day, each and every week. God's word gives us some very important counsel. And we're going to turn there in just a minute. But first, let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have invited us here on a snowy winter day to hear from you. To hear from your word, because our faith is rooted in your word. Our faith finds its foundation in your word. Your church is centered and finds its foundation It's core on the truth of your word. Because that's where we hear about the story of your son Jesus. That's where we hear the good news. And yet, God, as we come today, there are many things on our minds, many things on our hearts. And one of those things could be our struggle with wealth. And so, God, wherever you find us today, whatever we're dealing with, whatever we brought inside this place, would you help us to put it aside for the next half hour or so so that you can do your work in our lives. You can help us to have a deeper, more accurate understanding of what it means to be your church. God, we need eyes to see the truth that's on the pages of your word today, so we ask for that humbly. We need ears to hear this truth, and we need humble hearts before you, so we ask for these things, not in our strength, but in the strength of Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, White Lake family, we have reached part 10 The final sermon in our series called Church, Why Bother? Now, Throughout this series, we've examined Paul's counsel to a young man named Timothy on how he is to establish healthy practices and how he should experience greater faithfulness in Jesus and how he does that all within the context of the local church. It's very important. That's why Paul writes this letter to Timothy. And over the course of the last nine weeks, we've also been able to wrestle with many of the questions that our culture is asking today when it comes to the significance and the reality of the church. It's been on the back wall in our bulletins. It's been everywhere. Church, why bother? That is the question we've been considering. And I have to be honest with you, I've actually loved teaching this series It stirred some passions within my heart. And actually, I've heard many of you communicate that with me, with Pastor Kevin, that along the way, you too have been encouraged. And for that, I am grateful. But there's more. There's more for us to learn together today as we wrap up 1 Timothy. So let's grab our Bibles together. We're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you do not have a Bible, please feel free to read along behind me. Now we're digging into 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to be reading a long portion of God's Word today, then we're going to unpack it together. But I think it's important for us to hear the Word, what Timothy is writing, because there's so much there for us today. So let's read together. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to pick it up at verse 3. Paul writes, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, well, then he is puffed up with conceit and he understands nothing. It's an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we bought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these... We will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. They fall into a snare. They fall into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. For I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of, G- of Christ Jesus, who is the testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed. And only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. There to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Man, that is some rallying cry, isn't it? It's a wonderful writing. It's a wonderful encouragement to this young man that he has been investing in and pouring into. And as he closes out this letter, what he has done for his disciple is he has given him some powerful and significant truth. Specifically, he's given him three ways that he can walk in faithfulness. He's provided three ways to push against the temptations of our world, and there are temptations. They are real, and he says, push against them. And ultimately, he's given us three ways that we can honor God with our lives. And so the first way of faithfulness for the Christ followers is to keep ourselves from pride and from foolish controversy. To keep ourselves from pride and foolish controversy. So you might say, well, Pastor, how does one stay away from those things? Simple. It's really quite simple. Simple. Paul highlights the same thing here that he highlighted in the beginning of this letter doctrine. Sound doctrine. That's how we can push away from those things. That's how we can keep ourselves from pride and foolish controversy if we know and find ourselves rooted in sound doctrine. Let's look more closely at the text, picking it up at verses uh, 3 through 5 to see exactly what Paul means. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and he does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, well, then he is puffed up with conceit. I love this line. And he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy. He quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and a constant friction among people who are depraved in mind. Are deprived in the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You see, knowing and understanding sound doctrine is paramount to a vibrant and authentic faith. That is what Paul is highlighting right here as he closes out his letter. But I want you to know it's not just a a first century thing. It's not just, well, that was for that time period. No, no, no. This is true for us as well. Doctrine matters because our mind matters. What you and I think about God and about his word matters, you see the context of what's happening here in Ephesus and what Paul is addressing very specifically is that there are some some sketchy folks who have penetrated the church there's two groups specifically that have unpure motives we'll just call them the insiders and then there's another group called the sophists now the insiders these are people within the community of faith with bad theology with poor theology, and yet they have a desire to stand on the stage and share their ideas and tell everybody what they ought to think about. And the second group is the sophists. What they did is they would seek to know and understand Greek philosophy and then bring that into the context of the church and then get financial gain from it to bring Greek philosophy, Greek ideas, and receive some financial gain from it. Now, as you can imagine, Paul approved of neither of these. Instead, what he seeks to do is to push against, to combat this kind of man-centered thinking, and instead speak directly to what a Christ-centered reality looks like. He wants us to know Christ-centered truth. How do, I, how do I know that? Is that just like what I might say? Because, well, Pastor, you, you, you're standing on the word of God, so that's of course that's what you're going to say. No, that's what he says, actually. He says, if someone tries to preach or teach ideas that stray from the words of Jesus, they have an unhealthy craving for controversy. They're provocateurs who desire drama more than godliness. This is still happening today, isn't it? Faith-based influencers who preach their philosophies, share their philosophies about God and about life, and what they do is they sprinkle in a little Bible along the way. Allow me to say this in the most pastoral way that I can. Unless their words point you to Jesus and to gospel grace, they're wasting your time. They're wasting your time. Or worse, they're corrupting your mind. Rather than spending our time discussing the latest political movement, God's people should instead strive to know his word and to know his thoughts and what it means for you and me to put those thoughts into practice in our lives. That's what Paul is challenging us to do. And I can say that because he wraps up this portion down in verse 20. It's kind of a bookend. He says, oh, Timothy... Guard the deposit that I've entrusted that has been entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. White Lake family, let's not swerve. Let's follow Jesus and God's word faithfully and consistently. Now, let's continue on in our text. Pick it up at verse 6. It says, but godliness with contentment, well, that is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content." But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. They fallen into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this, the craving, that some have wandered away from the faith. And they have pierced themselves with many pangs. You know, Paul's words here are some of the most quoted and referenced in all of Scripture. Unfortunately, what is often said is often misquoted. (laughs) You see, as Paul continues to provide guidance on the way we are to live way we, we, we are to lead, he addresses this, this tug of money on the human heart. It is very real, and he addresses it head on. Now, what's often misquoted or misunderstood is the fact that Paul does not say that money itself is evil. That's kind of spun around and twisted a lot in our world today. Instead, what Paul says, it is the love of money. That's the issue. What does that mean? It means it's a heart issue. It's the love of money that is the problem. So believer, let's hit the pause button right here for just a moment. It's time to take a little bit of a self-assessment. When we get to that point where we talk about the love of money, where do you find your heart today? Where do your affections lie? Has the accumulation of wealth captured your heart? Has money become the object of worship? They're hard questions if we're honest. There's so much that can draw us down that path. But what this teaches us is the second way that Christ followers can walk in faithfulness when we avoid the snare of discontentment and wealth. When you and I avoid the snare of discontentment and wealth. Because godly contentment is experienced with little or much. Pastor, are you saying that it's not dependent upon my financial circumstances? That is exactly what I'm saying. In spite of what our culture tells us, you and I are inundated with ads that just continually tell you, you need this. Your life, the way it is, not good enough. You need this. What Paul wants Timothy to know, what he wants all Christ followers to know, is that contentment is of far greater value than wealth. Contentment. Paul emphasizes this by challenging us to see the temporary nature of things in verse 6. He says, for we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of the world. A contemporary American theologian, many of you are familiar with his work, his name is Don Henley. He describes it another way. He says, You don't see no hearses with luggage racks. In fact, his true contentment is found in things like the assurance of our salvation found only through the repentance of sin and belief in the gospel. That is how we can have assurances of our salvation, and that brings contentment. Peace with God, again, found only through a right relationship with Jesus Christ and a deep-rooted joy, again, experienced in Christ. These are the things that bring contentment. And these are the things that are the provisions of a sovereign and gracious God. The question that everyone here today must consider is do we find our contentment in those things? Is that where we find our contentment? One quick way to evaluate our hearts in this area, I'm going to step on your toes here just a little bit, so buckle up. How do you spend your free time What are you investing in? Are you always seeking to make a little bit more money? Or are you pursuing ways that you might be able to honor God with what you have? Is your calendar filled with things to accumulate wealth? Or are you investing in the things of God? Things where God might be able to use you for his kingdom purposes. Fact is, we invest in what we love. If we investing our time and our energy into accumulating wealth, what we are likely setting ourselves up for is discontentment. Church, that's not my opinion. That's the words of the Apostle Paul. Now, let's read the final portion of today's text, and it is right in the center of today's reading. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. He says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, steadfastness and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. For I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we will display at the proper time. For he who is... Blessed and only Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see to him be honor and eternal dominion. And he closes out this portion with the word, amen. See, for Paul... He has given Timothy what believers are supposed to keep ourselves from. That is that self-serving controversy, point one. And what we should avoid, the love of money, that is point two. And what we find at the very heart of this message in the middle portion of our text is the third way that believers can actually walk in faithfulness when we pursue the life and the light of Jesus, who is the Christ, when you and I pursue life in Jesus. I love the way he begins. He says, but you, as for you, O man of God... He says, you are God's man. You are called to walk in the ways of Jesus. You are called to lead believers in Ephesus. And you do so by making a distinct contrast from false teachers and from the schemes that are all around you. That's what he told to Timothy. And that's what you and I can learn from today. Look at verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of faith. It's kind of competitive Warlike language. And he reminds Timothy, he says, Fight for the truth. Verses 13 and 14, he says, The public confession of Jesus before Pilate, that gives us an example for all believers to have this strong public confession about who you are, even in the face of opposition. And then in verses 15 and 16, he's charged to remember that everything he does is in view of the second coming of Christ. You see, Paul wants Timothy and all who follow Jesus to take hold of the eternal reality of a Christ-centered faith. That means you. That means me. We are called to live boldly against false teachers and those who are only seeking financial gain. To turn away from the temptations and instead follow hard, passionately pursuing Jesus. Because the light of eternal life, that is the goal of every believer. That is your goal. That is my goal. But it's hard, isn't it? Again, if we're going to be honest and real as we close out our look at 1 Timothy, what Paul is exhorting Timothy to is really hard to do in our lives because we can get discouraged. We can have those days where we just kind of throw up our hands and want to quit and just say, God, I, I can't take this anymore. I'm so discouraged. I might look like marriage difficulty might look like a broken relationship within your family or it could be a tough year financially these things can hit us and they can hurt us because they're tough what they should never do is knock us off the path of our pursuit of walking in the ways of Jesus. This is one of the many reasons I love the words of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, let us run with endurance. It doesn't say run with ease. It says, let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus Because he is the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But what does the finish line look like for God's people? Where does God's church actually finish the journey? Look back at verse 16. Paul breaks into a doxology, which is an expression of praise to our God. He said, the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Church, this right here is what it means and what it looks like to walk in faithfulness. You see, for the church to finish well, what you and I are called to do is invest our lives in the pursuit of Jesus.